Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Lucas Moreno back to the podcast. Welcome back, Lucas. Hey, thanks, man. How you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? Fantastic. The weather's changing here in Virginia. I'm sure in Canada, it's, uh, you know, it's probably not happening yet. Is it? Uh, we had 70 degrees yesterday, and it's wow. back down to 35 today. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we had all that tease uh, like two weeks ago. I think now it's trying to steady out a little bit. So the good is coming. It's yes, coming. it is. So what have you been up to? Oh my gosh, it's been crazy. Um, so last time we talked, I was full-time employee of a contractor doing submarine stuff and part-time doing my business. And that's inverted. I'm now full-time with, um, with Marino Consulting Services, East Partnership, Marino Training, and part-time um, serving uh, Amentum as a uh, submarine logistics dude. So yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, a little bit of a mindset change, just knowing that you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's like I get to take care of my stuff first. So it's been yep. amazing. It's been amazing. Awesome. How about you? Slightly different role. Um, not consulting. Running, mm-hmm. running a maintenance, reliability, and engineering team. So definitely a bit of a change there as well. Yeah. So yeah. And you've it's almost got- like we switch spots. <laughs> Yeah. And you've got, I've got three kids. You've got three kids. This is, this is crazy. It's like an eighties movie getting ready to happen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you know, I noticed you've been putting a lot of effort into the training side, whether it's Mm -hmm. East partnership, you know, you're doing some training on demand, virtual hybrid, you're doing all these different things with training. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today. Okay. There's a lot of organizations that are hesitant to invest in training for a lot of different reasons. And that's what I kind of want to talk about is why is that? And how do we demonstrate the, the value of it? Yeah, no, this is uh, <clears throat> I love it. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I believe it's a point of perceived value, right? So anytime you think about doing something that you're not currently doing, you're trying to determine if the value in the investment is, is sufficient. Right. So Am I going to spend money on training and get a good return on my investment? How is this going to help me? So if you're tying the training to something that really means something to them and they feel like uh, training is a suitable solution to that problem set that they have, they're more willing to invest in it. So I think a lot of it is just awareness, just not being aware of how much there is to benefit from getting your, your team trained bringing in innovation and uh, efficiencies and effectiveness through some some expert training. And yeah, part of it is just that we've been around a long time. You know, organizations have been doing what they're doing and they're and they're making it work. And there's a lot of the in today kind of focus and and something like training doesn't feel like a an immediate solution, but yep. it can really turn things around quickly if it's done by the right people, it's the right training for the right application. 
and your your team can implement what they're learning, then the sky's the limit. I mean, there's tremendous ROI there when that happens. Well, I think you touched on a couple of good points there. Is it the right training? Is it the right time? Can they right. actually implement what we're teaching them? Mm-hmm. I've been to organizations where we'll train you on stuff, but don't you dare do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we, we checked the box, right? We took care of people this year. We gave them some training that they will be happy about. And um, But you're not authorized to, to execute, right? Yep. So it's, it, it definitely has to be aligned with your, with your business drivers um, and the goals that you have set for those departments, which, I'm, you know, James, that's a, that's a fantastic point. I mean, when you start talking about why do you need training, you know, there's, there's two parts to it. There's, well, there's more than two parts, but we'll talk about two. So there's, there's the part where we have a problem, some issue, Training is identified as a suitable solution, and it's a more worthy investment than alternatives are, right? So maybe if I train my existing staff, I don't have to hire somebody else to do that thing, or I don't have to lose someone for months to go to a program to come back and then make a change that we are seeking. Um, you know, so the, the the ROI has to be aligned with the business drivers and the business goals for sure. And sometimes those are like pie in the sky, high level things, you know, there's, there's strategic level business decisions and other times they're lower, closer to the department or the division level. And so, you know, part of the struggle with running a training business is making sure you're talking to the right people, because in some organizations, the, the people with the decision over those types of goal sets and actions to meet those goals are closer to the deck plate level than they are in others. And um, that makes it a little challenging. It definitely makes it challenging. You talk to some managers and they want to know what is the ROI for this training. I'm going to send you away on a tropical vacation because training's always in Florida or San Diego or whatever. You're going to sit on the beach all day because I know you're not going to training. What am I getting out of it? I should have started my company in a more tropical area. We're in Eastern Virginia where we don't have any palm trees. Maybe that'll help people send people here. Um, Now we, yeah, we actually try to meet the customer at their location to help mitigate some of that, um, especially with the with the virtual environments and, and on demand type training. You, you don't have to break away from from your workplace. You don't have to break away from your work schedule to get this stuff done. There are some organizations that works great. Some training applications that works great. In others, it's the worst thing. You can't you can't do that with like when I was in trades. You know, if, if you're if you're learning a trade for the first time, you should not be learning online, right? You can do some of it outside of the lab, but there is a significant investment in lab time when you're learning a trade. If you're an advanced tradesman or you're implementing advanced management practices or engineering practices or innovations and in processes and procedures, then much of that can and should be taught. Um, in a way that is a little bit more conducive to the to the to the goals of the organization, and that's like keeping people at their location, keeping them focused on their work, and the training should be very lean. It should not be filled with sales garbage and look at us, aren't we great? And half a day of instructor intros and all that stuff. It should be focused on the problem set of the team that you're trying to help, and so. That's that's part of the the thing is like getting the right quality and approach training to to your problem, and uh, and making sure that you're investing in training with someone who's going to be like a like a partner, right? They should be invested in your business's success, not just in cashing in on a week of training and walking away. That that to me is is never the right solution if you're just you know just a temporary kind of fly by night thing. 
if, if you wouldn't hire that person to consult you, you shouldn't be hiring them to train you. Yep, absolutely. Now, once you overcome the vacation and various other things that people don't want to invest training for, how do we actually calculate that ROI? And I think you touched on it. There's two different levels, right? There's a tactical, I'm spending XYZ. I expect to see XYZ in return in the next three, six months. But there's that other higher level pie in the sky. And I think that one's a little harder to quantify on what is the investment here and what are we getting back from it? So let's start with the easy one. Let's start immediate returns and that, that type of thing. Yeah, I love this because, uh, you know, and I think Bob Latino does a great job of talking about this, probably a much better way than I do. But, um, you know, Bob always talked about the ROI on learning RCA is so rapid because you immediately are better at problem solving. And it's really hard to quantify the value of that when it's happening so much, right? And it's not necessarily in a structured process where every penny that's expended on troubleshooting and, and solving problems is captured. And, and I just, that really, re- Bob's message on that really resonates with me as someone who's was worked in training for, for so many years. And the, the reason that ROA gets hard with, um, with training is that people are looking for the wrong return, I think. There's, there's some very tangible, easy to capture metrics that you could put in place. You could look at targeted training for things that are specific, like let's take RCM, for example. If we invest in RCM training and we send three people to, to go to a week's worth of RCM training and they come out the backside and they're now doing FAMICAs and FAMIAs in a way that is helping us put in place policies and procedures and practices with our maintenance program that that return quick, uh, you know, quick benefit to the programs, reduced cost in, in, in supplies, reduced uh instances of maintenance because we're doing better with the planning and and predicting and predicting failures and reduced uh, resource costs right we're we're spending less time doing the work I mean one of the things that's funny to me when I did my did my research on Laura which is level of repair analysis for those who haven't nerded out with, with James and I on that topic before I was looking for the most unstable variable in all of the maintenance that was done and the most unstable variable was the duration of the task how long it took to do the work. And so if you can cut down on that time spent preparing for executing and buttoning up maintenance, then you just get a significant return on your investment because it stabilizes maintenance and it makes it more efficient um, across all the fronts. So there's a quick way to capture that. You can just say, hey, look, I'm putting X amount of money into the training and we're seeing X amount of improvement in our resource expenditures and the time spent conducting maintenance. And, and we can tie those things back to the things that people are telling us they learned in the courses. That's, that's, you know, it takes a little bit of interaction with your, with your team to get to that, um, to get to that knowledge, but it's super, super valuable when you do, because honestly, most training investments aren't that much money. They look like a lot on paper. You're like, Oh man, I got to spend two, you know, $900 on one person to go to, four or five days of training or, you know, $2,000 for someone to do this training, or I'll take MTA, for example, 350 bucks for me to put someone through this training. What's my return on that investment? Well, how much is that person's time worth to you an hour? If you can save them two hours, three hours, four hours of labor in one week, because they learned a better way to do business, you aren't necessarily seeing that, but you just saved yourself significant money because now that's going to continue through time. It's not like they just 
are effective for a little bit and then it stops, they're going to no. keep being that way. I mean, yep. it's just a gift that keeps on giving. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, and like with, to your point with RCA, if we have a small RCA class, we can go do a couple formal RCAs, not just the improved troubleshooting that you're mentioning, but do a couple formal RCAs on reoccurring events or small frequent events or larger one-off events, whatever it is, put in the actions and show that this is no longer occurring. Therefore, we gave back X amount of hours per week of production or tonnage of production. It's a pretty easy way to quantify some of those things. Pretty easy. It just takes, uh, <laughs> see, how do I put this? You have to be intentional, right? You have to like say, look, we're going to invest and then we're going to measure it on the back end. We're, we're going to do this. It's not like, we'll, we'll see, you know, and then when yep. we when we take that kind of lackadaisical approach, then without putting in any more effort, we're just going to complain. <laughs> right? yeah. If you're going to be praiseworthy or complain or complain, uh, you have to do the work to get to that to get to that knowledge to to give yourself the right to do either of those two things. Um, and and the other piece of it is, and this is the you know this is the squishy stuff that I know people like to avoid, but people appreciate investments in their development. And if you yep. can invest in the development of your staff and show them that you care enough about them doing their job, that you want to help them improve their job, their environment, their skills, their confidence, their capabilities, then it's more than just an immediate return on the program outputs, like less downtime, less resource expenditure, those types of things. What about staff retention? What about morale? What about those things? I mean, the military, people like to look up to some of these military models and go, man, you guys get some dedicated really talented people. Yes. Yes, they do. Well, they don't just fall out of the sky. The military <laughs> makes them that way through training. You know, they weed out the ones who aren't the right fit in boot camp. They get you just enough knowledge to be dangerous. And then they start putting you down paths to be trained to get some skills and be become efficient and effective at what you do. And they keep honing that through through exercises and training and and all the other things that we do to get better at our craft so that when you when you need a role, you're, there's no one that can roll better than you. Yep. And, you know, that's that's the model. And it's not perfect. They don't get everything they want and need, but they get enough of it where they can say, you know what, the countries that don't do this, they don't they don't fare as well when it really matters. Companies no. would be wise to kind of follow that model a little bit. And they don't do all their training themselves. The other, I think, misconception is that, well, the government's got all the money, so they can just do that stuff and it doesn't matter. You know, we're, we're resource constrained. We're generating a profit. It, it, it's different. It is, but it's not. The government doesn't have like this open expense. I used to manage the budget every year for training in the Coast Guard. and We never had enough to do what we wanted to do, but we made sure we prioritized the training that was going to have an impact on the mission and we invested in it. We didn't question whether it was right to do. If we had the resources, we we went out and fought to make sure we got approval to do that work so we could take care of the, the people at the other end of the training. And, and it's not just for the sake of doing training. It's to produce an outcome that you couldn't produce without it. And that was always the focus was like, we're trying to improve outcomes. 
And I think that's critical. If you don't know what you're trying to improve with this training, you can't calculate the return on investment and why you need to do it, how it's going to contribute to the mission or the objectives in the organization or anything. You have to understand, here's the objective we need to get. We got a skill set gap to do to achieve that. This training will bridge that skills gap, allow us to complete that objective or mission. But often I don't see that happening. Often I see someone gets an idea for training. They submit it to their manager. Yeah, that's related to your field. That looks interesting. Sure, go ahead. Right. But we're so either immature that we can't put any of this into practice or B, we don't have the infrastructure and support to actually make this sustainable. So we would have been probably better off doing some other training to improve efficiencies, do other things to give us time to then get to that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You see that all the time, right? It's like, and and not listening to that technician, you know, is a a big thing or not listening to that person that's requesting the training at the management level, whatever the case is, you know, if you need more from them, don't just say no, tell them what you need to get you to yes. And then see if they can produce that, you know, empower people to, to kind of lead a little bit and 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 get the resources that they need to make the right decisions. You see these, uh, you, you see organizations that are are uh, you know the default to no answer kind of culture. You know they're the same places that are complaining about not being able to retain employees. You know not being the ideal place to work, uh, not being the ones who invest in the right tools for their people. You know, I would have guys bring me, <laughs> bring me procurement requests for all snap on tools when I was in Sarah. I'm like, guys, I'm okay with buying you tools. I just can't buy you the Cadillac of tools every five minutes, <laughs> right? Let's get the ones that we really need to be like, you know, bring me the, the good torque wrenches. Okay. That's yep. good. But for the nine sixteenths wrenches that you're going to lose, you know, anyways, like let's maybe not go with snap on for that. Right. Yep. You know, there's some decision-making here. There's some screening, there's some back and forth. And I tell them, if you can come up with a good reason for me to buy you a wrench that costs twice as much as the one next to it, I'll entertain you. And they'd say, okay, but I wasn't just telling them, no, go away. Yeah. You know, and, and they, sometimes they wouldn't come back. <laughs> they'd say, yeah, I don't have a good enough argument to convince them. <laughs> Okay, well, yep. maybe we shouldn't be investing in that then. Yep. You know, that, that's a that's a legit thing. I'm not telling you that everything people bring you is going to be the right answer, but I'm thinking that there should be a good dialogue and decision making process in place and a culture that actually supports people wanting to do that. By the way, it becomes a competitive advantage for organizations that can think that way. I'll give you a quick example. When I was in the um, Coast Guard, the, the we knew we couldn't compete with the in, with the outside you know, which is every other industry, right, in, in the country. We couldn't compete with them on salary for a lot of our talent. We, the military just traditionally doesn't pay as strongly as a lot of the industrial sector does. We couldn't compete with them on being able to stay in one location long term. There was a lot of things like uh, the hours you were going to work, the dedication that was going to be required. We just couldn't match the outside world on a lot of those things. So how do you win in retaining and, and developing talent? And our commandant said something that was really impactful. He said, we have to be the employer of choice. And I thought, well, that's like this nebulous thing to say, like, how am I supposed to quantify that or like capture and define that? And what I realized was he was hundred percent correct. We had to be the people that they wanted to come. They could only get that experience with us. We were going to invest in them in other ways. So it may not show up in their paycheck directly, but it showed up in how we cared for people, how we invested in their development. Um, how we how we uh, made them more confident in their work, 
that they weren't confident that they were going to get the same treatment when they left the service. And a lot of times they stayed because of that. They were like, yeah, why would I take a little bit more money to go somewhere else where I'm not going to be invested in? I'm not going to have as much, um, you know, focus on my, on my development and my work life balance and all that stuff. It, it just, it just made sense. Yeah. And people look for that, right? People want to be invested in, like you pointed out. And if you're not doing that, they're going to look elsewhere where they will be invested in. What's the most expensive thing you have in your organization? It's almost always the people. Yep. Absolutely. Much higher. Yep. Now, when we start looking at some of the softer skills, as you refer to them as, how do we calculate the ROI on that? Because it's not as simple that we saw a reduction in downtime or a reduction in, or an improvement in OEE or so on and so forth. We don't get that necessarily. So how do we convince people that I need to learn more about, say, Maintenance management, not a specific thing like RCA, but more of the general overview or you know, leading teams. How do we how do we quantify some of that and get investment that way? Yeah, I think you can look at like you can look at related metrics. You know, there's no direct metric for a lot of that, like you were saying. You can look at things that are influenced by those elements of your organization, retention rates, recruiting rates. Um, you can look at uh, you know, everyone's doing you know, internal surveys on, on employee satisfaction and all these things. And, you know, people roll their eyes like, Oh, I got to fill out another one of these surveys, you know? Um, Cause they don't feel like they're going to actually get anything out of that. Right. It's like, why am I doing this? You're not going to make any changes. Even if I'm, I'm going to tell you the same thing I've been complaining about for the last 12 months. Right. It's like, you know, but when you start to see feedback on some of those things, like, Hey, I really appreciate that this place invested in my development and I'm happier doing my job, you know, because I feel more confident in doing it. I'm, I'm better at what I do. I never would have gotten this somewhere else. I, I, I want to be here. That's a huge thing, right? So you can start to measure retention. You can measure, uh, you can, you can measure strength of recruiting, by the way, I don't know, you know, this comes ebbs and flows with, with, with everything else in the economy, but it's not exactly easy to find talent right now. And it is not, yeah, the more attractive a place you are to work, the better, right? That's a competitive edge right now that you can't get in other places. And and when you start to underestimate that, you will start to spend more money to counter the lack of people you have. And your your cost is just going to go through the roof. So when, when I talk about measuring retention and measuring recruiting and measuring, you know, satisfaction of your workforce and those types of things as, as tied to those types of objectives, it's not because you're just looking for a number to capture. It's because you're trying to gain a competitive edge. That's one of the ways you can do it. Another way you can do it is in looking at whether people progress through your organization or not. You know, you spend so much time doing certain things. Not everyone wants to become a manager. Not everyone wants to grow up to be a director or a VP or something. And that's perfectly fine. But the ones who do look for opportunities should have some semblance of identifying whether they're realistic or not. And are there opportunities for them? You know, if you're, if you're investing in the people, you're going to, you're, you're going to have more of that than if you didn't, it's going to be a stay or go decision rather than do I stay and progress or stay and, and not progress, which is a much better decision for that person to have to make than should I go work somewhere else? So you can sweeten the pot on opportunities within the organization I worked with uh, technicians that never wanted to get past a certain point, right? They were happy with the work they were doing. 
and they didn't want to become a manager, but they were looking for other things in their work to keep them kind of progressing and moving and investing in their skill sets and capabilities is one of the ways you can do that. So you can kind of use the training uh, apparatus to provide them with, with, uh, with valuable skills and, and um, knowledge that, that meets that need rather than here's another job, right? Yep. So they, they, they may be invested in that. Yeah, they become experts at different parts of their trade or their craft, and that's what they want to do. They want to learn more about it, get better at it. Yeah. And I mean, think you- about the notoriety that brings to your organization when the person talking about that, that everyone, you know, kind of looks at or up to or hears is belongs to your team. Like, yep. that's great. You know, there's a reason why James is where he is, working where he is. You weren't just some guy walking in off the streets with a good looking shirt and a goatee, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's James, you know, he's got, you got recognition and people, people seek that kind of competence in their organizations. They want that good message. They want that good thing. Yep. And training is one of the ways to get there. Yep. Now there's, we talked a lot about the return on investment, why we need to do it. When people need training, where do they go see you to get your training? Well, our, our, our training is pretty easy to find because it's at eastpartnership.org. Um, or you can just grab a hold of me on LinkedIn and say, hey, dude, I'm looking at this stuff. And uh, if you're talking to anyone about training, it doesn't matter if it's us or any other company, uh, you, should, you should expect that they're going to be able to do some things and not all things. And a good sign of a good trainer is someone that can say, you know what, that's right in our wheelhouse. We'd be more than happy to help you. And that if it's not, I've got some you know, some resources I could send to you that might be good options or even, Hey, I don't know who does that, but let me help you find someone. Right. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to, when it comes to what we do at East partnership, you know, LinkedIn's a great place to find us or you can check out eastpartnership.org. All right. Excellent. You guys have seen courses on maintenance task analysis. I think planning and scheduling, there's some stuff around asset management on there as well. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And, and East Partnership's kind of unique in that our, our whole model is that the instructors are leading consultants in their industries, different disciplines, right? So we have Suzanne Greenman is the, is the instructor for the asset management courses. Those are hosted by Greenman Asset Management Academy. Jesus Safante teaches RCM. You know, we've got people in places teaching things that are related to what they've been experts at for decades, not just, you know, flip a course because it can make some money. We actually wanted to incorporate mentorship in our, in our course experiences. And uh, so you want to go get a training because it's from Suzanne or it's from Jesus or, you know, for some reason you want to talk to me some more. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So they can find that at East partnership. What else do you have going on? Um, Yeah. So I also try to do what I've done for other instructors and other companies. I try to help companies launch their own training businesses. So if you're the type of organization that would rather have your own in-house training and you need help building it, we can help you with that. Um, If you're an entrepreneur or a small business and you want to take your expertise and share it with the world and you don't want to necessarily try and figure out for yourself all the stuff that comes with it, like running a learning management system and all the business decisions that come along with shifting to a training model then uh, we can, I can help you with that as well. So that's a lot of what consumes my time these days, honestly, is, is helping other people launch training businesses, which I am more than happy to do because I believe in the mission and effectiveness of training. That's really where it's at. Excellent. Well, Lucas, I want to thank you for taking the time today to chat with us about training, the investment, 
what the returns are, why we need to do it. I think more and more people need to understand that so we can continue to build our capabilities, retain our people, and help them move up in their career, whichever way that may be. So thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks, James. I always appreciate being here. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.